an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II, we now say, believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and today is Talk of the Town. So we have not only Bob here with us, but we've got Kevin as well. Hello. All right. So I, I tell you what, yesterday we did the, uh, I, I had to skip out on the radio show. So we did a rerun and I, I feel like it's been like a week since I've done the show. I feel all out, of, all out of practice, just missing one day. Um, but today I think we've got a really good topic that Kevin brought in. Um, this will apply to communities all across New York state at one point or another, you know, um, especially like some of the cities are now trying to push push this forward as well. We'll talk about what it is. Um, we're going to talk about rent control today and rent stabilization. And specifically, uh, we're going we're gonna to cover everything. But what I want to cover specifically today is why Democrats should oppose rent control. Um, because I think that typically speaking, when people hear of rent control or rent stabilization – um, they assume that it's like a Democrat thing, a left wing thing, um, and and they're not necessarily wrong yeah, either. It's mostly coming from the left, and they think that they're helping. They think that oh well, we will stabilize rents and stop gentrification, and then everyone will be able to afford their houses again. Yeah, and I I think that there's there's this perception, and perception comes from you know the things that we see that like people believe that people on the right and Republicans. Um, they support small businesses and therefore they would want to protect people against rent control. And on the other side, people would say, well, Democrats, they want to protect poor people. So they're for rent control at the expense of basically anybody else. That's kind of how right. it's projected. Yeah, that's that's the perception. But but the reality is, is that rent control just hurts everyone. Yeah, yeah, essentially. That's <laughs> actually there, there's a there's a great quote that I want to read from uh, an economist named uh, Osser Lindbeck. And, and he said that short of bombing, I know of no way to destroy a city that was more effective than rent control. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. I thought that was awesome. But we're going to talk about why that is. Um, so if you're listening to the show, th this is going to be great for you, regardless of where you sit on the political spectrum. Um, there's going to be a little bit of everything for you. And if you oppose rent control, um, you should listen because you're going to have like a solid argument. Against so you're going to make everybody mad. Today. Is I, that, is I that hope the so. That's a, no, I think I think I people like are going to every time I come on this show. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think realistically speaking, um, uh, people are, are going to leave the show hearing some stuff they just haven't heard discussed about rent control. Um, and as usual, I always try to give some good educational background before we jump into the discussion. So the first thing we're going to talk about is just the history of rent control and rent stabilization. Um, it's been around for a long time, or at least the concept has, starting back in World War I. 
um, which I guess I was just kind of naive going into the topic, not realizing that this has been around for so long. Um, but it, it came about in World War One. Um, and then in 1919 to 1924, a bunch of cities and states, they started to adopt rent and eviction control laws. And it, it's interesting that it's specified as eviction control laws, um, especially that early on, because that really speaks to the, there's there's probably three sides to this. There are the landlords, the tenants, and then the community that suffers the economic impact as a result of it, um, which are not always landlords or tenants. They could just be people who own property. And because of these rent control laws, it also controls property values, um, which then can control your ability to buy or sell your yeah. home. Or, or future renters too. It's not it, – yeah. yeah. that's yeah. kind of a separate route. Yeah. Uh, people who are renting currently as the law gets enacted and then mm -hmm. people who are going to be renting 5, 10, 15 years later after the, the law is done – done its damage yeah so i i think it's interesting that that one of the things mentioned is eviction control laws because i feel like that's one of the things that people lead with as like we are protecting people we're defending them from becoming homeless we're going to address those issues um but i just wanted to like highlight that um i i always look at language and how language is used because i think that messaging is like really important and we should be paying attention to it um so then the modern rent controls that we're looking at um, were first adopted in response to World War II era shortages, and and some of that being, um, you know, people just being deployed elsewhere in the world, not being there, and people saying, well, we're going to protect these families from rent changing and and this whole thing. Um, and then after that, Richard Nixon's 1971 wage and price controls was kind of like the next iteration that's built rent control to see uh, to what it is today essentially. Um, so what's it look like today based on all those, uh, those things have happened. And as of 2019, so this, I don't think has changed in the last two months. Um, California, New York, New Jersey, Maryland, and Oregon, Oh, Oregon and the district of Columbia all have some form of rent control enacted. Um, there are 37 States that either prohibit or preempt rent control. And, Eight states allow their cities to enact rent control but have no cities that have implemented it. Right. And in, in, in New York State specifically, the New York State Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act of 2019 was passed last year. New York City's had rent control for quite a while now, but upstate cities didn't really have that option uh, or, or at least didn't have like kind of state permission to do that until last year uh, when they That's implemented this law. And yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. So so being that we are here in New York, of course, we're going to talk about um, New York rent control. However, some of the studies that we've got that um, that talk about rent control look at other cities outside of New York. So we're, we're going to take a look at all of those things. But I think what's going to be really important as we have this discussion is is to look at more uh, to, to look at this from the perspective of each side. Right. So we talk about the tenants, talk about the landlords, and then we talk about the overall community. Um, we're going to assess the goals that people say they have with rent control. For example, um, definitely what I've seen brought up is rent control helps prevent homelessness. I've seen them say it protects minority communities, um, prevents gentrification. Um, those are the three big ones I've heard. Kevin, have you? do you have anything to add to that? 
Yeah, that's a big one. Gentrification is a huge one because what what people say the goal of rent control is, is that if you have a neighborhood that's mostly populated by a minority or or struggling population, uh, that that sometimes changes happen when the neighborhood suddenly becomes popular, rents go up – and suddenly this this same housing stock that was, you know, $400 a month to rent a one-bedroom apartment before suddenly becomes uh, $900 a month. So that's the accusation is that these neighborhoods become gentrified and the communities who lived in these neighborhoods are getting kicked out because of greedy landlords. Yeah. yeah. That's the accusation anyway. And and what's what's interesting to me is in this discussion, I have seen nobody mention – especially in New York State specifically – how outrageous our property taxes are and and how that really can poorly impact you, you know if your property tax um exceeds your rent then then you're gonna have some issues um I'll, I'll give you an example especially in the city of rochester commercial property is taxed at a significantly higher rate i think it's like three times the amount of a residential unit you mean the um, rate you're talking about? The rate, yeah, the, the rate, tax yeah. rate. Yeah, so it's so it's much larger. Um, so say you purchase a property, the property gets reassessed on value. Um, ask me how I know. I'm kind of like going through the situation right now. Um, the, the new taxes assessed might be significantly higher on a monthly basis than what the unit was taxed at before, and that changes the rent. It might not make sense anymore. Um so landlords have to assess this and see, like, can they afford to actually invest in property anymore with rent control in place? So that, that's a part of the conversation I want to make sure we discuss because I, I don't hear it being talked about. We're going to take a brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about specifically rent control in New York, what that looks like, and then we're going to address all these economic issues. We'll be back in a moment on Radio Free New York. You're listening to Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We're talking about rent control, rent control, rent stabilization. Um, There actually is a little bit of a difference between the two. Do you want to start by explaining that, Kevin? Yeah, I mean, rent stabilization just can – it controls how much you're able to increase rent when something's already uh, in place, and then rent control is more – specific price setting price setting yeah, yeah. so i mean it, we'll, we'll kind of use the terms interchangeably a lot but yeah. like so like new york state's technically rent stabilization um and and we could talk about like where where it applies and what type of units it, it makes sense and and how cities may be looking to implement this yeah yeah so to me this is this is very interesting um just in general that obviously the economic discussion which we're going to have later in the show about this but um, so I, I did what I always do. I go, okay, well, let me pull up the bill. Let me read the bill. The bill is 74 pages long. Oh, it's a short <laughs> so, one. Oh, yeah, yeah, but let me tell you, I mean, uh, if if you need help falling asleep, that's, that's great, except um, you get, like, angry along the way, so it's not, like, good sleep. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I definitely encourage you, if, if this is interesting to you, um, you know, go ahead. Look, it's uh, it, it's on the New York Senate.gov website. It's Bill S sixty four fifty eight from the twenty nineteen legislative session. You can pull it up. You've got this very lengthy uh, legalese 
74-page document here with all sorts of – a lot of green in this document. For those of you who don't know, the green is all the stuff they added. Red is stuff they removed and black is the stuff that was already there. Christmassy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, absolutely. It, it is nice though because when you look at these bills, you can actually see the changes if something has existed. So that, that kind of helps draw your eye to the changes. The problem is there are like so many pages in here. Um, that that's just a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to go through. And from what I understand, it's an amendment to the Emergency Tenant Protection Act of 1974, which is yeah. what allowed New York City. Well, the the most recent legislation that allowed New York City to implement rent control. And what this the law changes is a few tenant protections, a few different qualifications for uh, rent stabilization, and it allows upstate cities to be able to opt in under certain conditions. Yeah. And and one of those conditions, if if I understood this right, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, mm-hmm. is and we'll we should definitely talk about this, is that when there's a five percent vacancy yeah. in in rentable properties. So so what that means is ninety five percent or more of the available properties are rented out. Which to me is interesting because A, I I wanna know um, well, first off, it's an arbitrary number, but <laughs> but second off, how do they know what percentage of the properties are rented out? That to me is interesting. Um, that's going to be government survey, probably government study, money all of which is going to cost our money. Yeah, exactly. Our money. <laughs> so so the first thing government's going to do uh, to try to make things – I'm going to go out and say that this is going to make things harder on small businesses and small business owners who are renting properties. Um, and we can talk about the exceptions later. So, uh, well, well, let me get to. I, I got this nice PowerPoint from the city of Rochester yep, the other yep, day. I, yep, I attend do. those like neighborhood present meetings, so I know what happens, uh, you know, in the city and what what they're going to do to us and how they're going to ruin our economy. So I get the the heads up on that, <laughs> and then you know I'm not able to do anything about it most of the time. But what they what what it says is that the rental vacancy rate must be less than five percent for housing stock that would be regulated to qualify as a rent emergency. And now mm, that that's the part so that caught my attention. The regulated stock yeah, so as it's well. not the entire stock of housing. It is only qualified units. Mm-hmm. If there is less than five percent, uh, then a city can enact rent stabilization on those units. And a qualified unit is any building that's built before 1974 with six or more units. So that's so okay. if it's built after 1974 or if it is less than six units, then it doesn't qualify for rent stabilization. Mm. So it applies a little bit less than I initially thought it did. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but it's still there. And in Rochester, they're estimating between uh, 9,500 and 13,000 units. But they are doing a study for it in Rochester uh, and in several other cities as well. Um, so city council approved that study. So they're going to spend a bunch of money to try to figure out if – the city qualifies among those units, and then they can implement rent stabilization if they qualify. And so the interesting thing to me is living in the city of Rochester, I see all this new development for apartment complexes and high-end you know, apartments and stuff. And that, that makes me think, and, and I'm just going to say what I'm thinking here, that more and more people are going to switch in favor of knocking down old buildings that qualify for rent stabilization 
building new ones at significantly higher yeah, you've rates. You've incentivized that, right? Yeah, you've incentivized you've, you've more building, yeah. which, which has an environmental cost. And, yep. you know, you, you are going to build units that are more expensive because you're you're incentivized now to, to build units that no longer qualify for rent stabilization, which is a tough business model to follow. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to state this as – and I, I actually don't have a list for you guys. But I'm going to state this as reason number one. Um, if, if you side with, with the left – or Democrats in general, and you're like, we have to have rent control and rent stabilization, and that is the political ideology you align yourselves with, you're actually incentivizing more harm to the environment and destruction of existing buildings and increased gentrification, just off that first piece alone. Yeah. So, um, so that that's reason number one, you yeah. know. And if you're listening to this and you've got a friend who who is really pro rent stabilization, here's reason number one you can give them. They're probably uh, believe in in being environmentally friendly, and they probably want to prevent gentrification. And and step one, that actually does the exact opposite. That's right. Now, going through what what would actually happen if rent stabilization were Im- implemented in any city in New York is there would be a rent guidelines board, and it would s- set permissible uh, annual rent increases. So you'd have some board of kind of appointed people, uh, probably some tenants, probably some landlords, and, and some city officials, and they would decide how much are you able to increase rent. They're going to know and understand the market well enough apparently to do that because we know that running things by committee is the perfect way of running the economy yeah it's worked uh, in new york right where yeah. we, we don't have a budget deficit or debt do we i mean yeah. that's <laughs> uh so there are circumstances where you can get exemptions from uh the permissible annual rent increase and that's if you Increase services or equipment or make improvements to an apartment with the written consent of the tenant. Uh, if you install major wide capital improvement, um, and in some cases, there's some hardship approvals. But what they actually did by changing this law is they actually made that a lot more strict in what capital expenses and improvements to the property qualify for exemptions from uh, rent increases. So mm-hmm. that's, that's created a huge problem in New York City because before – there was at least a little bit of incentive to make property improvements, but now those little bit of incentives to make property improvements are taken away. So you're going to see further deterioration of rent-controlled properties in the city, which will decrease the quality of housing and create more incentives to just tear these buildings down. Yeah, yeah. Now, absolutely. The other thing that I, I find really interesting is when um, when you own your property, it it makes sense to improve your property and maintain it over time. Right. Like if if you truly own your property, when you lease out property to somebody else, you're still supposed to keep in good repair and you're incentivized to make that property better is as long as um, you can adjust with the market and the market rate that's going on. So mm-hmm. you may go, hey, you know what? Um, this this part of this property needs to be repaired. I'm going to have to raise rent to make this happen. Um, and and you go ahead and you do it. Your property's better. Your value's better. Your taxes now go up. So you have to raise rent to to accommodate those changes, right? What what this is saying is landlords can now not improve their property without written permission from the tenant, yeah. which which is like very strange to me. You know, um, and and what's interesting is tenants can apply for like rent reduction too if they feel like there's a reduction or in services or reduction of quality. Absolutely, yeah, you're kind of they're applying to the uh, to the board that oversees all this. They're not applying to their to their landlord. 
correct. Yeah, that's yeah. as I understand yeah. it. I mean, the landlord apply like tells the tenant like I want to make these improvements, right. and so yeah. but but if the the tenant says I don't think I'm getting a good deal out of this, they can apply to this board, and the board can intervene on their behalf to uh, yeah. Reduce so, the rent. So you, you guys haven't touched on this one aspect of this whole thing, which is really the beauty part of it all. You know, you got all these, you got all these layers of government, and all these subjective decisions are all being made yep. governing the use of your property. And the beautiful part is that there's absolutely no opportunity in any of this for corruption. Oh yeah, oh, no, no. no, absolutely. This it is a corrupt, free system, um, <laughs> guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, wearing my clown hat while I say that one. Um, yeah, but, you sound like a clown, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, this is going to be a major problem, and I foresee things happening like this, where the landlord says, um, "Hey, the the kitchen's deteriorating or the bathroom's deteriorating. I I'm gonna I need to fix this, you know, or I want to fix this." It's going to cost me four thousand dollars to remodel this. You're here for a year. I, I want to up rent, you know, maybe four hundred bucks a month or something like that. Yeah, cover the too. cost. And the tenant goes, "No, I don't want that. I'm not giving you permission for that." And then the tenant can turn around and go, "Hey, I'm paying eight hundred dollars a month. Um, my landlord hasn't fixed my bathroom or or upgraded it. You know, yeah. I think this apartment's only worth six hundred dollars a month. They go, so it's like, yeah. or, it could or, be a you know, bad bad situation. It, yeah, and if it's a, like a particularly bad situation too, like the the tenant would be able to withhold rents, and they yep. would probably win in court over that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though, even if the landlord doesn't have the the capital to be able to invest in that without raising rents long term. Yeah. But, you know, again, the, the landlord's just expected to eat the cost of this without being able to run a viable business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, I've got a couple of highlights and takeaways I want to tell you guys about um, this this uh, rent control. I forget what they call it. The Tenant Protection Act, I think, is the official. Tenant Protection Act of 2019. Yeah, there, there's a few things that we definitely got to talk about. We're going to talk about that when we come back on Radio Free New York. listening to Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We're talking about rent control. We're talking about rent stabilization. Today is our talk of the town, so this could impact you all across New York State. Um, and that, that 5% vacancy rate, that could happen in any, any city in New York, right? Yeah. So any city can, can do a study. They can determine that they qualify, and rent control could be coming to your town. So start talking to your city council members now because, hey, who knows, especially if you're a landlord or if you're a renter because we're going to talk about how this, this impacts mm-hmm. you negatively as a renter too. Yeah, yeah, it, it does actually. Um, and it's funny because before I saw the actual numbers on it, these are things I was thinking like, oh, wow, this is going to be bad for tenants in this way. And then sure enough, there's numbers to show that that is the case. Um, there, there are some things I want to make sure people know about, though. They're, they're probably important to bring up. Um, it makes it a lot harder for landlords to be able to collect rent, which is, in my opinion, like really silly. So if you look at any business model, for, forget that we're talking about landlord and tenants for you know, a moment. Let's just talk about any business model. When you go into business, you take on risk. 
and you take on that risk um, and it's a calculated risk to try to create profits and generate wealth for yourself. And along the way, you, you have to factor in government regulations, taxes, all this other stuff. And at the end of the day, you're hoping that there's more money in your pocket than what left your pocket. Um, and it's not something that everybody's successful with. That's why a lot of people go out of business. But government creates this really unnecessary red tape constantly that hurts small businesses in New York. It hurts largest businesses too, but they can just kind of afford to get around it and lobby for things that help them and hurt their competition. So when I look at what the rent control or the rent stabilization does here, um, some of the stuff I could see somebody making the argument like, well, the tenant should have this. Um, and I'll talk about what those items are. But then there's other things that increase the risk so much that I can't imagine what this is going to do to the rental market over the next year or two. Um, so so here's, here's one thing. You can't require people to prove that they can pay rent anymore. You used to be able to ask for pay stubs. You used to be able um, – I think you can still do a credit check. Yeah, so what you, you, what you can do, as I understand it, is that you can set a credit score that you're looking for to be able to pay rent. So that that ends up you can say okay I want to I need at least 675 right yeah. in order to rent this property but what that ends up happening is people who are young or people who maybe have gone through bankruptcy and they have a good steady stream of income but their credit score is yep. low you have to set that cut off somewhere yep. and yep. and someone who may be willing and able to pay rents you, yep. you you have to cut them off if you're going to set that credit score limit at all and what you used to be able to do you used to be able to ask for uh employment verification, which to me is much better. You know, somebody could say, hey, um, yeah, I did file bankruptcy. My credit score is atrocious, but I have a good steady paying job. I've had it for a year. Um, here's here's a copy of my W-2 or a pay stub. You can call my employer and verify that I'm hired full time. You can't do that anymore. It's it's essentially illegal to do that. Um, and, and so the credit score thing, I mean, that that to me is is – I don't know. It takes away discretion from the landlord. It, it gives you a situation where you can no longer assess your risk before bringing a tenant in. Um, the other thing that it does is now when a landlord's going to take a tenant to court over a past due rent, they have to um, actually pay to have the tenant served. You can't just deliver it yourself at least two weeks in advance. Um, to me, I think people should have the advance notice. But I, I don't think that government has to say, like, you must pay to have this served. Like, government's now telling you you have to purchase a service, um, which I, in general, have a problem with. Just, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, landlords can also no longer sue for collecting um, – they can only sue for the base rent. So you can't collect late fees and you can't collect, collect legal fees anymore, right. which – it, the way I look at that is pretty simple. Like you're going into a lawsuit to try to collect rent, but you know how much that lawsuit's going to cost you. Like running a small business, I've had to take clients to court. Yeah, most attorneys will require a minimum of a thousand dollar retainer to even pick up the case. So if if you want to take somebody to court, chances are you're not going to hire an attorney, and because the retainer is going to be more than what the rent is, unless it's like a luxury apartment. Um, so you're going to go at yourself. You may not understand the law, and it's it, it's going to put you in a, in my opinion, a bad situation where people are going to think that not collecting rent is more worth it 
than being able to collect money. Also, when it's uh, uh, land uh, land uh, r- rental uh, situations, isn't it the case that these tenants can get court-appointed uh, and taxpayer-paid attorneys to defend their uh, oh, their rights, know, their, their tenant rights? But, I mean, so, that might be a possibility. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on what it is. Like, I know Rochester has a housing court that specifically deals with these issues. That's and there, what I was thinking. There are organizations that will provide lawyers. I, I'm not entirely – I need to do more research on whether or not it's taxpayer-funded or if it's privately funded. Well, in usually it's legal but, aid. Yeah, but, but, yeah, legal aid. And then, yeah, so you can – so get as a some landlord, sort of- yeah, you could walk into a situation where eight hundred dollars is past due. You you can't evict the person for it. You gotta take them to court. You can't sue for your legal fees. So therefore, you you're gonna make the decision not to hire an attorney. But possibly the tenant might actually have a state funded attorney or or a locally yeah, funded attorney go. or something right. like that. So it it to me creates a really bad imbalance. In, in this system where everybody can't truly be equally protected anymore um, because it, it puts – it shifts so much of the burden on the landlord um, that you know, the tenant can get the assistance, which is great you know, if, if the tenant really needs the assistance. Um, everybody should have the ability to be properly represented. However, if you're making it so skewed that – the landlord is like, I have to make the decision to not be represented because of this law. Yeah. Then, then I feel like that's starting to create like inequality the other way. Right, and 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 to be honest, like the the stuff that we're talking about here only barely scratches the surface of a oh, lot yeah. of the stuff. Like, I, I think we're going to need a whole other episode about that. Yeah. But like, what we're kind of getting to is that like you now have is now much much harder to run a business that is subject to these types of regulations right yeah. so and it's not just the 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 six plus units built before 1974 that a lot of these apply to a lot of these regulations and tenant protections uh and, and that's it, they apply to all landlords right yeah. So so a lot of these uh, applying across the board it creates a lot of disincentive to get into the business of managing property mm-hmm. and so with that being the case, what ends up happening is, A, you push out a lot of the small and medium-sized landlords. So it's only like the large property managers and property holders that are able to get into this business. So mm-hmm. you end up kind of uh, concentrating wealth and property ownership yep. in yep. that way too. And then you also create a lot of disincentive to improve housing and repair housing. So like that mm-hmm. – all those buildings before 1974, it's – you know, again, why why improve those when you're going to be subject to these extra regulations? And even if you are building new housing, you're still subject to a lot of regulations. So there's a lot of disincentive to, to not want to build. Yeah. So so what what we're getting at here is if if you're thinking rent stabilization and rent control helps poor people and maybe even middle class people, you're actually starting to make the wealthy more wealthy. Well, the middle class and small business owners start getting out of this business model because it just doesn't make sense for them anymore. They don't have the wealth available to them to continue this model. And people in these apartments are going to be essentially, since it's disincentivizing people to repair and upgrade these properties, the properties that they live in are just going to be more and more dialect, broken down, not as good well, more wealthy people are going to be able to afford those luxury apartments and right. that sort of thing. And, and what ends up happening too, because there's these disincentives to build and repair housing, you also end up with a shortage of housing. You have mm-hmm. fewer units getting built. You have fewer units who are able to be kept up enough to, to, to be livable. Yep. So if you have fewer units available, how, do, how does market economics work? You have fewer units. The prices tend to go up. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's why I thought was really interesting about that 95% filled or that 5% vacancy. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When the market demands, like, like that happens when the market is imbalanced by regulation. Right. Like in, in no free market would 95% of anything be totally full. Yeah. What's crazy to me is, okay, so we have a housing shortage, so let's make it harder to build more units and and, create further barriers to to building units because that's the way you fix a a, a price surge is you build more stuff. It's going to force people to lower – yeah, it's going to force people to lower rents because now you're competing with newer units at lower prices often Mm -hmm. and – but I, I will say this, and I've said, the, said this many times, although maybe it hasn't come up on this show. I think the fact that we have a housing shortage in Rochester is is totally false. It's a load of crap. Rochester was built with 300,000 people living there. Oh, We've yeah, no, lost over 100,000 residents, and somehow we have a housing shortage. We don't have a housing shortage. Um, we have a, a zombie property issue. Um but we can talk about that in another show. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about the economics of rent stabilization and why it is a bad, bad idea. We'll be back in a moment on Radio Free New York. Radio Free New York. Hey, guys. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We're talking about rent control, rent stabilization. And and I got to say, maybe two breaks ago, I I told Kevin I was really nervous because I didn't see Garrett from YouTube in the comments. And I I thought we lost you, Garrett, but I see you're back. So (laughs) uh, for those of you who don't know, Garrett is like a loyal listener. He's on like every single show we do. Um, So So, yeah, thank you, everyone out there listening on YouTube, like Garrett and everyone listening on the Facebook Live and and uh, listen to our podcast as well. Love you guys. Uh, and, of course, all of our listeners on WYSL and the rebroadcast on WNY and WACK. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So thank you to all of our loyal listeners. And, and I'm just going out there and letting you guys know when you're not listening, I notice. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how much we love you guys. Um, so, so now let's talk some economics, right? Let's talk about kind of the meat and potatoes of this. And, um, you know, Rebecca Diamond from Stanford, she, she did like a pretty good study on, um, what was it San Francisco, I think? Uh, and then was it was that the Cambridge one? Or the, so we're we're, we're going to post the, the yeah. economics did a great episode they on did. rent control. Yeah. It is no, they did very awesome. thorough. Uh, we're going to post a link to that. We'll also post a link to that PowerPoint, and we'll post a link to the bill in the the show notes and in in the comments of. Uh, yep, I've got it here. I'm actually going to post this link for you guys. It's called "The Effects of Rent Control Expansion on Tenants, Landlords, and Inequality: Evidence from San Francisco." Yeah. And um, th- this is a great publication is a lot of information got to hear her talk about the statistics and that what they found on that podcast and um it was pretty interesting because on the surface at first there were some things that that looked like oh maybe this works it it helps renters in the short term in the very short term it yes it it creates maybe a short-term benefit but a long-term failure for for cities and and renters in general, I think. One of the things that they brought up is they say, hey, yeah, no, it looks like 20% more people stay in their rent-controlled apartment when there's rent control. Um, But what they actually found is those people just couldn't become mobile. Like they they weren't actually able to move to 
any other place because it disproportionately shifted the rent elsewhere. Right. And yeah, that's what it ends up doing is, is okay, so you have this rent-controlled apartment, but the rest of the housing around you becomes more expensive because of rent control because yeah. there's a lot yep. of incentive for landlords to do a couple things. One is is there's a 15% uh, decrease in housing supply in San Francisco after rent control was mm-hmm. implemented because a lot of owners are like, I don't know if this is worth it anymore. They converted their units to condos yep. or owner-occupants or they just redeveloped the building sufficient to uh, overcome the, the regulations. And yep. so, again, th- these these properties that were affordable, suddenly there's a lot of incentive for them to either get sold off to mm-hmm. an owner-occupier or – or redeveloped into something else. Yeah, yeah. And they found what we talked about earlier, which is less maintenance went to the property. Improvements right. stopped going into the property. Buildings started getting knocked down, and new ones were built at much higher prices. Yeah, because if you have rent stabilization that applies to new property, which is in some cities, that's what happens. It isn't like the old buildings. It's some, yep. In some cities, it's the new properties too. Again, you, you want to st- – peg your rent really high, right? Like, all right, if I can only increase it by a certain amount every year, well, I'm going to start it out pretty darn high. Pretty high, yeah. And and account for those things like property tax increase and and some of those other things, which is so funny because when people hear property tax, they go, well, isn't our property tax capped at 2% in New York State? It's a lie. Don't believe it. It's it came out of a politician's mouth. (laughs) There's there's all these loopholes and it 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 does not work like yeah. that. And, and the it's, it, there, there is a part in this uh, in this podcast too uh, about whether or not taxes can be factored in the rent increases. Like, all right, if the city's going to mm-hmm. increase your taxes, are you yeah. able to just pass those along to the renter? Mm-hmm. I mean, because again, if you're a renter and you think you're not paying property taxes, guys, you're paying property taxes. You, yeah, you are. Yeah. The, the, the landlord's just passing them along to you. It's not a gift. Yeah. So what's interesting is in the commercial market, we have this thing called triple net, right? Which is you pay like a base rent And then you pay utility taxes and insurance on top of that and sometimes like shared services. So those 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 triple ends, like those three things can fluctuate month by month based on assessment and stuff. That's not what's in the residential market today. I see if rent control continues to be a thing and if they continue to lock down on landlords, I think we're going to see the residential market actually switch to a triple net style where you as the tenant – pay a base rent, which is essentially what the landlord's going to profit off of, and then all other expenses are passed down to you and an itemized bill each month, and it's going to fluctuate. You won't actually have a solid like $850 lease anymore on your apartment. It'll be like $850 to the landlord, then you know a portion, your percentage of the taxes, your percentage of the insurance, your percentage of the utilities, um, which has been the way commercial property has been for a very long time. Um, and I, I see that as the step that landlords are going to take in the future to address these issues. Um, whether or not that's possible with the current law, I'm not an attorney. I don't know. Um, but I, I would envision that's what future rent yeah. is going to look like. So I know we only have a few minutes left. I do want to wrap up with, hey, does the rent control actually solve the goals that we laid out? And I, and <laughs> I just want just to yeah. just to hit the point home, right? Does rent control prevent prices from going up? In the short term, for those renters who are there, rent control is enacted? Yeah. In the long term, for those same renters and for anyone else who's buying in the housing market afterwards? Absolutely not. And and what's interesting about the study that you had mentioned is that they found that rent control actually increased gentrification and increased the displacement of low-income tenants. 
Yeah. So well, it's actually counterproductive to their goal. Yeah. Well, and, and for all those reasons, because people had to increase the price of rent artificially now to make up for the prices they can't increase later. And if they can't do that, they just build a new building or, or whatever the loophole is, right? There's always going to be a loophole. They're just going to look at it and assess it as a business owner. Okay, this is what I need to do to stay in business. I will do this. In Rochester, in New York State, that's going to be knocking down an old building, which displaces all those tenants, um, and then building a new one that they can't afford but the others can. And somewhere else, if it's old properties instead of new, they'll just go through and do that loophole every time. Yep. So, I mean, if, if, you, if you're if you a Democrat and you really care about decreasing the price of housing, building more affordable housing, the best thing you could do is A, don't enact rent control. It's a really, really bad idea. Yep, and yep. B, make it easier to build new housing, build you know different units. Don't put on the, all these conditions. The best way to decrease the price of housing in an area is to increase the supply. Yeah. Well, just and- just zoning reform. And no it rent is. control. <laughs> yeah. That's that's yep. the key to creating affordable housing. It's doing those things. Yeah. And this applies to everybody too because there's Republicans that support rent control. There's independents that support rent control. The, the it's Republicans primarily Democrats. Um, yeah, the Republicans are pretty bad they at zoning. They single-family um, zoning even in an urban area. But I would yeah. also say that the important thing too is for landlords to, to price rent appropriately, that the appropriate amount of risk needs to be there. And so if you're taking away the ability for somebody to collect their money, evict a bad tenant, guaranteed, I know – I can tell you exactly what's going to happen. Rents are just going to be set high so that only people with specifically high-paying jobs can afford them. And the risk will be lower with those people. Or enough government housing subsidies, too. Yeah, or enough so, government housing. So, so, so yeah. like that's, that's more the bad part, things, right? guys. So you can, yeah. you can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then suddenly there's more need for housing subsidies because, oh, we don't have affordable housing for some reason. Yeah. And, and that's yep. how you get situations like New York and San Francisco where the rents are absolutely outrageous. Mm-hmm. And the situation is really not that bad in, like, the Rochester area, the Buffalo area. Like, yeah. the, the rents really aren't all that crazy it, but in new york and not. san francisco and in a few of these other big cities where they've enacted rent control the prices per unit like i have a friend who's paying like three grand for like a one-bedroom apartment in new york it's yeah. a month yeah I, w- I would say too it it's supply and demand right so you look at places like monroe ave those in in like park area ave area the rent is actually pretty high there but you're paying to live in that like environment like yeah, you right. want to do that it's hard to get an apartment there supply and demand you know you go to 19th ward i mean you can get a like four bedroom house for 600 bucks a month oh, yeah, plus no. utilities if, it's, if you're willing to crazy. look around it ain't bad I think, yeah i think my first apartment was in the south wedge it was like 700 bucks a month one bedroom that was yeah. for yep. me that was fine i wanted to live in a cool neighborhood so it was worth it yeah yeah but but yeah for people to suggest and i see this happen on facebook too to suggest that you can't find an affordable apartment in rochester like no you ain't looking hard you're enough. just not looking where the affordable apartments are yeah all right guys that's radio free new york tomorrow is white house wednesday so we'll have a presidential candidate on for interview catch you guys tomorrow